guess what? They go to social media, that's validated as well. In their mind, they're fighting for the right thing. So, so with this, is this why you think Full City and French Roast still exists in the country? Because <laughs> they all think that they're doing a good job? I don't know. You know, pallets are pallets. Full City's French, right? It's pretty dark. Full City? Yeah. It's pretty dark, but it's not French. Hold on, I'm... That, I know that's a home roaster term, that's not a... Well, I'm, yeah, I'm always... City. Full city. No, there's like three of them. There's four of them. City, half city, full city. Yeah, full city is pretty dark. I'm, I'm literally visualizing right now Scott Rouse book. There's something in. And I, I don't know what I happened to that book. Crack. There's cinnamon. Starts with cinnamon. Ah, I don't have my phone. We can't verify this information right now. No, not right now. I don't want to think about cities or food cities. Whatever, let's think about it then. Where did the city term come from? Because I remember, I remember one time, I literally couldn't wrap my head around how is that related to roast or color? Because I thought it was related to color, and it's not. Yeah. I honestly, I don't know. I have never, honestly, I really, from day one in roasting, when I went to Costa Rica, I roasted with them. Terminology was always from light, medium light, to medium, medium dark. I mean, you, you kind of just, and I, I'm dedicated to always learn it that way. And honestly, I never looked at that. Like every time I go to a grocery store, I even struggle with that. When it does say full city, I'm like, I'm not sure what that is. But it's because I think it's, part of how I was trained from the beginning of all of this when it came to roasting. Is is there not a, a color or a roast number metric like SRM or Love Bond? Yeah, there is a... There is a... What do you call it? It's an up, up, up thumb. It has a little eye. <laughs> And it reads colors, and you can, based on the color gradient, you can determine where it falls in, in the medium, medium, dark, dark, and all those parameters. That gives you a number. That gives you a number. That number you compare to, to the graph, and then you determine what's what. But that graph, the units are still light, medium, light, medium. Really? Oh yeah. gosh, that would drive me crazy. So in grain, they use love bonds. So 20 love bond is like pale yellow, 30 level bond is like a little bit darker, 80 level bond is basically black, <clears throat> and you never see anything. Well, no, because I guess you get the crystals, so, so then crystal 120 is like brown. Yeah, why don't they do that in coffee? Have you ever, have you ever malted grain before? No. No, but I want to see it. Does any roaster ever put grain or any other bean besides coffee into the roasters? Cacao. Cacao is very common to use a coffee roaster for. That, that's chocolate, right? Mm-hmm. Cacao. Use a similar process, similar approaches. I have some cacao beans I've been playing with. And... 
in the small you, roaster. I thought you were just kind of hacking that. I didn't know if that was no. Kind of thing. No, no, that's just. I mean, you, yeah, like there's a company in Santa Fe that actually uses a probot. Okay, gentlemen, anything from the kitchen tonight? Weren't you hungry? I'm okay. You okay? Thank you. Who was it? No, they had a Dietrich, I think. Dietrich or Probot, one of the two. But it was a coffee roaster, and I went to look at it. I'm like, dang, that's awesome. It's a full on coffee roaster. Is that any extra extra capacity? <clears throat> that would be a good thing to try to roast it? Or do you think if you use it for cocoa yeah. for too long? Yeah, I think, I don't know. I, don't, I wouldn't. I mean, I'll do a batch just to have fun with it, but. But I wouldn't try to do it as a consistent thing. So I, but I, all of that stuff fascinates me anyway. I got to see um, two kinds of roasters. I got to see a drum roaster, and I got to see what they call maybe a moving belts roaster. You know, in Oregon, got a grain facility that makes uh, grain for beer. Yeah. Everybody, everybody uses the conveyor belt system because you basically have a single flame and you can get your moisture content right and then you can get your roast level depending on how fast the, the belt is moving and how intense the fire is. Pretty, pretty straightforward. But this company, nobody does drum roasters because you need to move a lot of grain. Kind of like you were talking about with the coffee tunnel where there's a tunnel that one, one side feeds it green beans and on the out comes roasted coffee. Yeah, that's... Um that's a fluid bed, fluid yeah, bed roaster. So that's super, super useful for throughput, and that's how you get the grain cost in beer down to the low. So these companies, these companies are like, well, how do I do that with all the cap without all the capital cost of building out that infrastructure? And they had just like 40 little drum roasters, maybe like 80 pounds of coffee terms one after the other that we're just sort of like feeding into each other and they would get a certain level of roast out of each one and then they'd pull out at a certain point and say this is what I want and then the rest of it would go on and then go to the oh, that's crazy but it was coffee roasters like they were using coffee roasters well now that I've now that I've seen your roasters they, they might have been roasters but they look like just weird ass washing machines with like or like a, a cement truck you know with like a yeah a turbine thing on the back and one side feeds in and then the grain moves up and then out into the next one that goes up and then out there's foot flame underneath all of them. Okay. <clears throat> That's still pretty cool. Well, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to be able to taste or smell and grab every element of it through each stage. I mean, if you're going through so many steps, it's, it's pretty cool. Well, brewers, brewers aren't like, well, I mean, maybe roasting is, uh, better than, than brewing, but in brewing, people like having 15 or 20 different colors to choose from of the same species of grains. Mm -hmm. Two-row barley, a brewer would want to see like 15 different roasts on that. Yeah. And that seems like way too many to be to be useful, at least in my mind, initially. I'd go ahead and just like one or two, and then just sort of like work on the ratio of those one or two. Yeah. And then, yeah, then brewers, whatever reason, want the diversity. That's interesting, because that seems like a very broad profile. Trying to cover every aspect of it in single, I don't know. Interesting to see. It would be interesting to see breweries kind of go in the approach of coffee of single farms and single 
work directly with farmers yeah, to get. I just thought about that. That would be so cool to see that and be. How would you? You can see it. I mean, in the CBD, that's part of what I wanted to do with that. CBD is easy though, right? Because you can get ten thousand dollars for an acre of marijuana or uh, hemp, I guess, roughly. I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean, like? If you if you were to, as a farmer to grow it, like it would be useful, kind of like with coffee beans and switching to soy or corn or anything like, or even uh, yute or yucca. Yucca? Cassava? Would you say it was cheaper to grow in Colombia? Hemp. Hemp. So you get six hemp plants for the same. Nine, roughly about nine for for a coffee tree. See, in the U.S., I think you get six hundred dollars for an acre of soybeans, and you can get ten thousand for an acre of. CBD products. Yeah, but I think in, like in everything, there's the people that produce to produce, and there's the people that produce for passion, for love. And that's where you start being able to go and start meeting people, farmers, how they're producing, what kind of effort they're putting into things. I truly believe that all of that comes through, comes through in any, any product, any product. So yeah, like a farmer, like the people in Hamas, if somebody had an acre of lands, they would absolutely make a single, single estate CBD. At least I would. Yeah, but again, it goes back to how big is your heart into it, how for the craft of it versus how versus just making a quick buck, right? Doesn't, doesn't everybody like weed though? Like, I think everybody. No. Every farmer? I don't know. Maybe that's not true. Well, it would be really complicated with, with cannabis if you were going to grow it outdoors or well hemp. You have a huge amount of problems with the environment, with because again, think of a lot of people are going to smoke that. So the, if it's outdoors, it's absorbing. If there's cars coming by, it's absorbing carbon. It's getting into that. Then you're going to smoke it, and that's going to come into your lungs. And not just that. I mean, they also get. Um, what do you call it? What's the term for that? When they get pollen goes from one to the other is uh, hybrid hybridization. No crossbreeding. No, they go to breeding. They start breeding because of somebody else that's planting something close by that uh, ruins your whole entire production. I mean, there's so many variables. It's so 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 much, and and that's where that's why everybody doesn't just jump and do it because it's and growing it is not easy. So that goes into similar to coffee. There's tons of farms, yes, absolutely, there's tons of farms. Some people make it just to produce and produce and produce and just sell and sell and sell as cheap as they can. That means that they go with everything, fertilizers, everything. They can to make those plants pump, 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 pump. But there's also people that love what they do and love creating and love having that curiosity and that flame to just push and push and push through creating new things, through showing what Again, they might be working in this so many generations, showing the pride that they have for that product, for that relationship with the plant, with the, with the land. And I truly believe that that kind of energy, that kind of passion is felt in, in a drink, in anything. So, if you were talking about hemp plants, same thing. Yeah, everybody's gonna have that, that's for sure. But how cool is it to really understand how everybody's doing it? What, is, what differentiates one from the other? What really creates you a unique farmer, whatever you want to call it, coffee, hemp, corn, grain for out for beer. 
wise grain, I'm sure they could do a lot of cool crossbreeding and different things with grain to create different things. They don't because it's mass produced just to pump, like I was saying, just add whatever they can and pump it out and pump it out and pump it out. I think these small guys are actually doing it for the, what you're talking about, which is caring, <clears throat> like caring about a product and making it better. And also too, because brewers, to a certain extent, they're at the whim of what Budweiser, Miller, and Coors established with infrastructure, kind of like the, the Columbia... FNC? The FNC. So like, there's a lot of people who... Like, hey, let's start a coffee farm. Well, how much are we going to make? I don't know. Let's find out what the average FNC price is and roll that into your business plan. We're like, cool. Well, we're going to have to make coffee at this price point to be able to sell here to make them stay profitable. Every brewery does that. We all we all know that grain's 19 cents a pound. We have to use 750 pounds for a 15-barrel batch to get 80%, 85% efficiency. Like, that's, that's a standard. But what if you had grain that had more sugar contents? So you only had to use half as much grain at 19 cents a pound. Well, that would, that would say that means I would get more beer out of it. Probably. I don't know if this math works. But, you know, like if, if you went to work and you did heirloom stuff and you sort of tailored the grain to what brewers wanted, brewers like, sometimes they like lots of protein, sometimes they don't want lots of protein, they just want sugar. And so if agriculture really took it upon themselves to create that unique character that somebody is niche for, like a specific niche, that would be useful. But right now it's just commercially grown, two row. This is what Budweiser, Miller, and Coors use, and that's what the industry sells. And like, you just have to figure out how to work for that. That's interesting. Well, specialty coffee has always existed, and fermentation has always existed, and all of this. But, but the craziness that's happening right now—that's been happening in the last ten years, uh, eight years—it's it's insane. It's insane. But at the farm level, people are coming up with to create something more unique and more exclusive and more beautiful. At the end of the day, this is. Yeah, it's just beautiful, it's just... I'm looking at some coffees from Colombia right now that are... Hydro, for hydro honey. So, a few, year, few years ago we were talking about honey. Processes being new processes. Now honey has taken so many new, new processes above it. Like, they start with honey as such and now honey has broken apart into a bunch of different processes. I feel like honey is not the thing from bees. Honey is a process similar to wet, wet fermentation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, honey is a, it's a process in which you remove the, um, the skin of the fruit and let the fruit ferment with the seed, with the, with the husk and everything. So you probably mechanically rub this, the cherry? Mm -hmm. And then you just have like a little bit of fruit bits around the outside, but that ferments with the seed. Yep, and dry, then in dry, a, dry in dry almost in no in a dry, like dry. almost like a natural. But the difference is the natural is you have the skin around it between the elements and the seed. So you have the whole fruit encapsulated between the skin and the seed. In this one, they remove the skin, they leave as much fruit as possible. So it's a very unique process because it can go bad really really fast. Meaning, if you go too long, you over ferment and it just, it's no longer part of, it's no longer a honey, because honeys are honeys because they're characterized by the level of sweetness that they produce. So what happens to the meat of the cherry? It's, Afterwards? Well, it's, it's fermented away, but is it, is it fermented to the point where it's 
you just rub the bean a little bit, it'll all flake off. No, it's kind of like it's still dried fruit in, in something. It kind of gets sticky and it's just... Still on there. Still it's still Yeah, and then that gets removed the husk. And if you let it go too long, does it start to ferment or break down the seed, the coffee bean? Is that what happens? It changes the flavor completely, so it's no longer just called the honey. But I, but again, now there's like Colorado honey, which is another approach. And I don't know all of them at this point, but there's so many coming up. So hydro honey is one that I learned today about, and it's pretty cool. It's a really cool process as well. They rehydrate, basically do a honey, rehydrate, and then re, re-ferment. So it goes through two fermentation processes. So why, why, why would honey be that much different than dry fermentation or natural? Why, do, you, do they call natural? Natural. Is that a natural fermentation or is it a natural breakdown? Or no, it's just called natural process. Natural process. It's just a natural process. Yeah, you're, you're thinking beer. Stop thinking beer. Well, I mean, natural, <laughs> there's decomposition happening. Yeah. There's, there's something happening, right? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm assuming it's because, yeah, it is a natural, again, it's the natural process of this cherry falling into the ground and breaking down. But now you pick the cherry and you give it the conditions to break down um, a lot more under your control how you want it to, to break down so it doesn't grow mold, so it doesn't... No bird poop nearby. Exactly, nothing like that. So you, you keep all of that. So yeah, I'm, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> Never thought of it like that. So, how is honey that that much different than a natural process? I mean, I know you remove the skin. Does does a natural process happen faster? That's a really good question to ask. And what is this? So the skin I need to ask about the, that. I don't skin know. protects the seed, of the, the meat of the cherry, probably. Mm -hmm. I almost feel like if you took a cherry and you let it ferment or just let it fall to the ground and, and then age, the inside would be really gooey. Mm. Well, yeah, you have a process of drying as well. So as when you go to naturals, you're also constantly moving and moving and moving to have a consistent drying throughout the, seed, throughout the cherries. That's why it's very different to just let it fall to the ground. First of all, in order for it to fall to the ground, it must have over-ripened to the point where it just fell off. Here where it's being picked at the right time, grabbing the right everything. We want to make sure bricks are at the right place, that it's ripening is where the best flavor comes out of the fruit itself. So once you bring that out, you're fermenting at that particular moment. You're grabbing most of the elements of that moment. When you're also enclosing everything, that aroma and that intensity of the fermentation, yeah, aromas. Does anybody bring in coffee, full coffee fruit or coffee cherries to the U.S.? Not that I know of. I mean, it'd be expensive because you're basically shipping. Well, and it, it just wouldn't survive. Three as much, three times as much water. Oh, it wouldn't survive a week? No. Oh, wow. No, you would have fermentation problems right away, and that depends on how you're going to do it. I mean, you, yeah, they need to start immediate. I mean, they get picked, and typically within 24 hours, they're in the drying process. Within 18 hours, in our farm, within 18 hours, they have to be in their, in their wash tanks, like in removing the, the fruit, and into the wash tanks. They have to be in there within 18 hours of picking. 
I wonder, I hear a lot of our cherries, out of season cherries, come from Japan. What cherries? I don't know what Cherries. Cherries, cherries, the weed? Cherry cherries. Okay. Did you buy at Smith's or Safeway or... I hear they're, they're Japanese, they're grown in Japan. Hmm? I wonder how they get them. Maybe cherries last longer. Yeah. Coffee fruit is super thin. It's super, super, super. Between the seed and the... And the fruit and the skin, it's, I, don't know, I don't know how to even measure it, but it's very, very thin. Not like a cherry. No, no, no. It's not like that meaty cherry. No, it's like a really thin, maybe the thinness of this glass, like this much. You blow my mind. It's just a little tiny, the cascara that I've shown you, if you rehydrate it, you'll see a good amount of the fruit part of it. Because when you grab the cherry, the, shit, I don't have my phone. <laughs> I'll show you a video of it. I have it, like you squeeze it and the seeds just fly out. So it's just, well, like for our process, it grows through, um, it's just a roller that has holes, kind of like that, in that shape, concave like that. And as the, it squishes the, the cherry, the seeds go through the hole and the cherry keeps going out. The seeds go through the hole and the cherry keeps going out, the fruit. I always, I always thought it would be like two pieces of rubber rubbing against each other. No, 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 it's a, put your phone, I don't know you can. I'll show you later. But no, it's a, it's a, like a drum, a drum that feeds into a hole and then the hole starts getting smaller and smaller until it squeezes the seeds out and they just start feeding through those holes inside that drum. Then they shoot out and the, the fruit shoots the other way. In our case, we put in a conveyor and it goes out to the composting section of of the production area. I'll show you pictures about that as well. And Does your compost get good enough to use within the growing, because you get two growing seasons in Colombia. Mm -hmm. Does the compost happen fast enough where you get to use it for the next growing mm -hmm. cycle? Oh yeah, or does it take no, it's pretty fast. pretty fast. Yeah. So if it's too fast, is there an excess of compost that happens on a farm? Or is there always? No, it's always useful. It's always good. Probably just, yeah. Exactly, and I don't think every single area gets hit with it. It's not enough to cover so much area. Wow, because I've never seen, I remember seeing the some pictures from the cascara or the yeah. fruit bodies for compost. It required a dump truck, like or like a, a tractor to move it. Like that seems like a lot of. It is a lot, but but it's also a lot of land. A lot of land. Jesus. Try to spread. 10 dump truck, truck, whatever truck, what, what was it? Dump truck? Dump trucks? No, it's not dump truck. Bucket, bucket pools? Tractor whatever, buckets? Whatever, that thing. In 288 acres, how thin of a layer do you get? You probably won't cover 30% of that. So uh, a coffee plant is every six feet? Four feet? No, it's about a meter. <laughs> So three, three, feet? three feet from from one to the next. Two meter, yeah, it's basically a meter radius. I need to pee. Can we pause for a second? Yeah. You're drinking a lot of water.